everybody. Welcome to the Hunter's Quest podcast. This is your host, Hunter McWaters. It's great to be with you. And today I have a very interesting podcast with a fellow content creator who you may or may not be familiar with. His name is Martin Chagnovich. He has a pretty good uh, Instagram and YouTube following. And um, he is an amazing hunter from Utah. He's one of these guys who just spends a lot, lot, a lot of time in the mountains, uh, observing animals, scouting, hunting, um, and he kills some really good animals because he basically goes in there. It's a high-pressured unit where he hunts, um, but he goes in there, like I said, spends tons of time on the mountain, finds one target animal you know, that he's going to hunt that year, or one special buck or bull, and and devotes all his time to that animal. So, um, just a, you know, dyed in the wool, born and raised type of Western hunter that is just fascinating for me to talk to because, you know, my experience of Western hunting is very different from his experience of Western hunting because I'm an out of state hunter, um, relatively new to Western hunting. Um, so he operates just in a completely different dynamic that, um, I, I just find fascinating. Uh, it's just so different from the hunting culture I grew up in. Um, and also he's a content creator, um, very smart entrepreneur. Um, and so we, we chatted for like another hour after the podcast ended just because we were connecting on so many levels. So it's just one of those conversations where I felt like we were really connecting in a lot of ways and, um, it flowed really cool. We kind of went into some different, um, topics that, uh, you may find very interesting. You may not, but, um, I certainly did. Um, so yeah, Martin's a great guy. Like I said, very smart, um, business savvy. So we talk a lot about entrepreneurship and going out on your own, which can be applied to any business, not just the hunting industry. So, um, it's not just specific to that. Uh, Martin spent two years approximately, uh, working full time for Hush, as a camera operator and the editor. Um, so we got some really good experience there um, and then decided to move out on his own and do his own thing. And um, so we talk about that move kind of going off on his own. And um, and anyway, we, we just get into a lot of really interesting stuff here. So I think you guys are really going to enjoy this conversation. Um, he's a great hunter. I highly recommend you go check out his stuff. And just the way his mind works is uh, is very interesting to me. Um, so I enjoyed it. I hope you will too. Um, I do want to bring up a couple things here. Um, some of my partners, you know, I know Seekins Precision, this is show season right now, 2024. It's January 11th right now. If you follow them on Instagram, um, they have a new rifle that they're releasing. Um, I think it's available for pre-order now. I'm not exactly sure. Uh, I'm waiting to get mine. I can't wait to. Um, but, uh, it's a super cool collapsible stock, um, ultralight rifle. Um, and so anyway, keep an eye out for that. Um, I'm super excited about trying that out. Um, you know, obviously I want to say thanks to my other partners, uh, Barnes bullets, Onyx hunt, loophole optics, which also loophole just came out with the new, um, Mark four line. So definitely check those out. Um, but I also just specifically wanted to, um, give a shout out to black Ovis and camo fire, um, they're my newest partner. I just announced that recently. So they are my official hunting retail partner. So, um, you know, they have a curated gear shop over at Black Ovis. They have some private label branded Black Ovis stuff, but they also carry brands like Sitka and King's Camo and 
Um, just tons of brands over there from not just clothing either. I mean, it's boots, gear, camping stuff, um, pretty much anything you need hunting related. Um, they carry it. They carry the, the best brand, Stone Glacier, uh, et cetera. So um, if you're in the market for camping stuff, hunting stuff, whatever it may be, um, go to blackovis.com and check it out. But another kind of secret, which you know a lot of guys in the Western hunting world know about, but I didn't know about until I started really getting into things on the Western side of stuff. Um, so you may not have heard of it, but is Camo Fire. And so you go to camofire.com. Basically, they do like flash sale every day. It changes every day. There's a list of, uh, I'm not exactly sure how many items, you know, probably between 20 and 50 different items items on there that changes every single day, and they're like deeply discounted. So um, you you should really make it a habit if you're looking to add some pieces of gear to your lineup. If there's something you need to keep your eye out for. You want to save some money. You can find some killer deals on there. So go to Camo Fire. You can sign up for their daily emails that come out, or you can sign up. I think they have an app. Um, and you'll get reminded, and you can go there every day. And I'm telling you, when when I was kind of adding gear to my stuff to kind of get where I need to be, I was checking that Camo Fire site every day because it seemed like just about every day there's another item on there that I needed that was, you know, heavily discounted. So um, super stoked to be working with Black Ovis. I use some of their private label products now. They have some great gloves that I use, um, some trekking poles. Um, let's see, what else do I use for them? Um, pack covers. Um, and I actually use their uh, puffies too. And and not to mention, I have a bunch of their uh, merino base layers. So um, awesome brand. Um, I love supporting hunting companies whenever I need to buy something, even if it's like a camping item or something. So go to blackos.com and make sure you check out Camo Fire as well. Um, lastly, um, if you need anything at Mountain Ops, go to mountainops.com. Um, I use Mountain Ops supplements every day. Um, and that's not a commercial. That's just the truth. Um, using their creatine every day. I'm using ignite pretty much every day. Um, they have, um, some multivitamins. They pretty much have anything you need supplement wise over there. They have some excellent protein bar options. So go to mountainops.com, MTN, ops.com use the code quest you will save 20 percent, and you'll be helping me out so um you know go over there get some get some good stuff and save some money um other than that guys i think that's all i wanted to mention uh also if you're going to be at shot show or you're going to be at the western hunt expo i will be at both of those shows so please if you see me come up and say hi or uh reach out to me on instagram maybe we can link up and chat or whatever but um hope to see you there uh hunt expo is a great opportunity if you're not in the industry to come out and just see all the best brands and and some of your favorite content creators and that kind of thing that's in salt lake city second week of february and it's put on by the mule deer foundation so you'll actually be kind of helping out conservation as well so i think that's all i had on my end um Definitely uh, want to say thanks again to my partners. Um, it was a great season. I'm looking forward to putting everything together and sharing it with you guys. So uh, if you have not yet, please, please go subscribe to my YouTube channel. Uh, follow me on Instagram and share the show with your friends and family. That's the best way to get the word out. So share the show. Leave me a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, and I surely would appreciate it. So with that being said, let's jump in here to this conversation with Martin Chagnovich. Enjoy. Enjoy. 
Well, hey guys, welcome to the Hunter's Quest podcast. This is your host, Hunter McWaters, and today I'm joined by fellow creator and YouTuber, among other things, I'm sure, and also good hunter, great hunter maybe, uh, Martin Chagnovich. How you doing, dude? Doing great, man. Appreciate you having me on. Yeah, for sure, man. Um, like I said, I think I, f- I think I may have run across you first on like Instagram or something, or maybe YouTube. Um, but you got a, a really nice following on YouTube. Um, we work with some good brands and you got a good, um, you know, social media presence and everything. So, um, just wanted to get you on, talk to you and, um, get your perspective on things. <laughs> no, I appreciate it. I'm excited. I, I haven't done too many podcasts actually just a working class. Like we spoke about before we, mm-hmm. uh, forward and that's about it i've only done a couple so yeah that's and i usually do that when i like have a podcast lined up with somebody i'll listen to them on other shows to try to maybe get some ideas for topics or maybe talk about something that you know you, you don't talk about much to kind of get from a different angle and stuff like that so i searched you on podcasts there's only a couple so um but i did learn some things about you which is cool um so you know let's just start us off with um, who you are, your background, what you got going now and kind of what led you here. And I'm, and you know, I may jump in and ask for like more detail in certain areas and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, just kind of introduce yourself to folks if they aren't aware of what you got going on. Yeah. So Martin Chagnovich, born and raised in Utah. Uh, I'm 28 years old right now. So okay. spent a little bit of time out here. I've hunted from the time I couldn't even walk. My dad would put me in his backpack and haul me around on the mountain. So that's awesome. Always been a part of my life. Um, getting into the hunting industry that started about six years ago. I was just working blowing glass and blowing glass. Yeah. Glass. Interesting. How'd you get into that? Um, so out of college that was, I needed a job and my best friend's dad had, uh, just started his own business and that's what he'd done his whole or for his career. And so he brought me on and started showing me the ropes, start me on basic projects. And I was like there. decorative stuff or like what kind of things were you guys blowing? No, it was uh, in the semi quartz conductor industry. So um, pretty unique. We did do some Pyrex, but mostly it was quartz glass. Uh, a lot of different businesses would send work our way. And uh, like yeah, what kind was- of things are you actually making? Man. Um, <laughs> so I actually made uh, some medicinal purposes items to okay. start that were more basic. Um, like, and then uh, the the big items were in the semiconductor field. Okay, interesting. Which would, like big, which would be like, man, big four-foot bell jars that would go into machines. Wow. And you'd have to fit, blow the glass to fit certain uh, measurements to connect to other parts. And That's it, fascinating. It was, yeah, those were big, big items too, like the expensive pieces. So when you're working, working in there, um, it's pretty, you know, butts puckered a little bit. Cause, <laughs> uh, yeah, that stuff's expensive, but no, it was interesting and, uh, it was, it was a cool, cool job. I liked working there. Obviously it was my buddy's dad. So we had a good relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that turned into just, not, it was a job for me. It wasn't my right. And so I let him know I was going to probably leave and go out on my own. And I had no plan, really. I had no sponsorships. I think I was working with one company at the time. And uh, Did you already have kind of your Instagram kind of going pretty good? or 
Yeah, I did have an Instagram and YouTube presence. Um, that was just that was because just like, it's so funny, awesome. man. Like these, like a lot of these brands, <laughs> they just literally go on Instagram and look how many followers you got. And if it's like below ten, it's like, oh nope, not even going to talk to this guy. <laughs> exactly. And and the funniest thing is, is I, I kind of take pride now that I'm I've been around the block. I guess you could say is with working these with these companies is I take pride in having a fairly small following, but mm -hmm. it it has an impact. My codes do well. My followers actually engage. They they that's very important, man. Yes, they support my, the other brands I work with, and I think I think it's better now. But initially, getting into the industry, companies really wanted to see that following number, and people still, when I approach companies, they they always say, "Well, you don't have a very big following." But then when they see the performance numbers, they're blown away. And um, so, yeah, that's what was tough getting off the ground. Is I only had I think fourteen thousand followers at the time, um, which is pretty decent. Yeah. Um, I, but still small when you got guys with 60, 80, a hundred that you're, right. um, so I didn't have a very, a big following YouTube and Instagram was about the same. Um, and that was just a hobby up to then like building it up to that point. I was just doing it for fun. I liked sharing my content and, uh, didn't really ever envision something coming of it. Um, but then I started to see other guys doing it. My friends with, uh, over at Hush, they yeah. were doing it and proving that you can make money and a living uh, with this yeah. so I, that, that's what kind of fueled my fire to make let me jump let me ask you one thing while we're there yeah. um so i was gonna i wrote it down to ask you later but maybe it's just better to ask now so like i'm interested to think or i'm interested to hear how you think what's how or why were you able to or how do you build that quality audience with like high engagement and people that actually care about what you say and do and think. Yeah. That's, that's the million dollar question, right? <laughs> um, I think a lot of it comes down to just the person. Uh, and now that I've seen a lot of guys come and go over the years, I, I think it's just something that you naturally have to be able to connect with people in the audience. Mm -hmm. um, that's a big part. Another part I would say is, understanding what is relevant what people want to see um the type of the type of content to put out there and capitalizing on that uh, i guess you could say sort of finding your niche your niche audience mm -hmm. the faster you can find that out and then target those people the better um because if you just have people that follow you here and there that don't really care then it, you're not going to ever get that high engagement but if you you know what you specialize in and you can find those people that want to see that content that the engagement's going to follow and then things start to snowball. Interesting. Um, okay. I'd say I, and honestly still, I'd say I have a fairly small following in, in again, in yeah. comparison to other people. But I, mean, I know from a firsthand perspective, what it takes to build, uh, even what I have, which is less than you, and it's work and it's, it's, uh, oh, yeah. you have to put in, you know, time and effort and focus. And it's, it's really interesting where, like where you put your intention and your focus is where growth happens and you can't put it everywhere. So it's, especially if you're, you know, a one man band like you and myself, um, you gotta be very strategic about it. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I, yesterday I was on the, uh, I was talking to my mom, I was over at her place 
hang out with my parents and I said, man, if I, if I had another, if I had an employee, if I could build up to the <sighs> right hire a full-time employee, I'm going to, I'm going to 10 X because I, I was getting pulled 10 different directions. I was trying to edit a video, trying to get information for an event and get companies on board, trying to get content to everybody and also trying yep. to make a new sponsorship uh, proposal for 2024. Yep. And, when you're a one man band, you're getting pulled in all sorts of directions and hundred um, percent. It's a grind. Like nowadays you can't you can't post on social media and get followers like you used to. No. You have to like pump it. Not to mention we're dealing with shadow bands everywhere. Right. And we're at their mercy, you know. Um, I'm pretty sure I went through that in uh the summertime. Usually summer's a slow time anyways, but I yeah. went through a phase where nothing was getting shown every time i went to comment on somebody's post i had to go through like a two-step um process weird comments because they were saying i needed to like keep things appropriate <laughs> for whatever reason weird. and i noticed my content just took a dive um but it, it went away but i never did get an upfront message from instagram saying hey you're banned but it sort of felt that way yeah i just found out like yesterday that like the whole like your content cannot be shown to non-followers thing yeah. i'm sure you've seen that but like that doesn't just pop up on your feed like you have to go into your settings and see and so yeah i have like multiple posts that are some of my best posts like reels from hunts and stuff that uh, are like that and like the only way to really that i've found to get like substantial growth is you have to you have to put some money into boosting stuff yeah i think that's kind of why they 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 do that they know yeah they can get paid to boot people pay to boost their product yeah um, or yeah boost their product which is instagram and also sell ads on it and pay to play type of thing so yeah. it's sort of disappointing and yeah nowadays it's you have to grind for almost every single follower you get it's they're not mm -hmm. but so true in the end, that's going to make you might not have the highest following but you're going to have good followers because yes yeah. You had to put that effort in for each one of them. Absolutely, man. Um, well, it's it's nice to talk to someone else who, like, it's not like I'm complaining. Like, it's just it's nice to relate to somebody else because it is. It's it's uh it's a lot of work. It can be sometimes discouraging. And when you work alone, you don't have anybody to like vent to, or even hey, something good happened. You don't have anyone to like celebrate your. Hey, I just landed this big deal with this new partner, and like, like I tell my wife, and she's happy, but she's like, "Oh, cool," you know. Like, <laughs> so, like, yes, you know. Right. <laughs> so yeah, it's I, nice to I, talk to somebody that that knows uh, the joy and struggle, and but it's also a lot of fun. It's a really, I really love the industry. I think it's it's a great challenge, and it's fun. Yeah, I've I I've got some good buddies that I I can bounce ideas off and talk to and and vent yeah, with. Yeah, that's know, important. That's very important. We don't work together. They're just good friends. So that that goes a long ways. And uh, but yeah, man, it's uh, it's funny because people give you a lot of crap uh, for doing social media and working in the hunting industry for whatever reason. Like, there's a lot of crap there, but they do not understand what goes into it and. Right. And, uh, and it's just, yeah, I would love to see some of those guys try to, to live oh, yeah. exclusively on the income you can generate from hunting. Um, it, uh, yeah, it's, yeah, it's funny. So no, it, but I, I love the process. I love 
I love the people I've met along the way doing, taking this path with my career and the hunting industry has a bunch of solid guys in it. And so mm -hmm. I, I, I'm really happy I took that jump and. Yeah, that's awesome, man. So, and you were speaking of friends and, and that kind of thing. I know you're good friends with Eric Chesser, right? And those guys? Yep. yep. Which is funny because you look like you could be his brother, by the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, so yeah, um, how'd you get linked up with those guys? And uh, and uh, are they still, are, are those some of the guys that you bounce ideas off of and stuff like that? Because that's super important to have that. Yeah. I need to actually cultivate that a little better, if I'm honest. You know, networking and having connections is your your biggest friend. I mean, that's going to help out so much. Um, and honestly, that would be probably if someone's trying to get into the industry that's listening to this, that should be your number one takeaway is make connections, bring value to people, help out where you can, get your foot in the door and just try to be a sponge and absorb. Um, that's going to lead you to bigger and better things opportunities for whatever you're looking to achieve very well said um, i would agree but yeah so i met eric and gosh i was in high school okay we were mountain hunting the same deer on the extended <laughs> hunt out here and he was into fitness you know a lot younger and jacked and tan in shape and i was like dude that's that's the type <laughs> of guy like i want to be in the high school you know i was into weightlifting so I, I automatically I was like I know I'm gonna I'm gonna vibe with this guy we're gonna be we're gonna be good friends so we we were friends for man years went on shed hunts together and uh hung out together worked out and then eventually when I was getting ready to leave my glass blowing job that's I told Eric hey I'm gonna leave and go do my own thing and that was right around the time that Hush was looking to bring on a new cameraman and video editor nice and so he pitched it to the crew. Um, they were on board for it and hired me on full time that spring. And I worked for about a year and a half with them. Nice. Uh, yeah. So after, after that year and a half, this is a story, like a lot of people always ask me what happened, like, why aren't you with hush? Because that is a dream job for most people. Um, I loved it, but I just felt like there was a bit of a ceiling. And I did have a strong desire to do my own thing and not be an employee. I knew that that's why I left my first job, my nine to five job was because I wanted to be my own person, do my own thing. So yes, I got into the industry. I was living a great life, you know, hunting every day with hush, but I still felt like I needed to do my own thing. And so I made the difficult decision to, step away from hush and and then do my own thing and start from scratch i mean that's awesome when I, left, man. when I left hush it was it was abrupt it wasn't uh planned at all it all came within a month um so when i quit hush i had no income no businesses uh to promote no no sponsors and i had to just start from scratch right then on that that january and and uh wow my own and when so, was that that was 2019 2020 i believe okay um i just so i love that you said that um maybe we can dig in a little bit more here um so about a year into me starting off uh, i'm not gonna say any names or anything but uh my one of my like heroes in the industry 
called me pretty much out of the blue, offered me a full-time job and wanted me to move across the country and work for them. And I was like, imagine your hero calling you and be like, yeah, come work for me. Um, I was like, I mean, that's kind of how it was for us, you know? Yeah. He's my friend, but they're also legit dudes. So yeah, I I know what it means. And I was like freaking out. I was so like excited. My wife was not super on board with moving across country and just other factors. And um, for one reason or another, for many reasons, it just didn't work out. Um, And me and this guy are still like friends. Everything's great. But I am looking back like so happy that I feel like God had had my back. And even in the moment, I was super disappointed it didn't work out uh, the way I'd hoped it would. Like, I'm so glad that I ended up going on my own because, like you said, at the end of the day, you can be building your own dreams or you might be building someone else's dreams. So that's a scary but really cool step you were able to take. Yeah, no, it, and I think the biggest thing is, like, it almost, in your pro- it probably happened to you, it drove me crazy for those months leading up to me making that decision mm. because I was, I, you're doubting yourself. You don't know. You're leaving a, pro- a proven yep. thing. Job with Hush, they're crushing it. They're great guys, living an awesome life. You have guaranteed income. Or you take a step out and start from scratch on your own and there's no guarantee yeah. and there you're driving yourself crazy because you have this burning desire to do your own thing. And something is telling you that's what you want to do. That's what you have to do. But then that, that guarantee is sitting there and you, it, you almost feel crazy to pass that up. And so I went through that for a few months and then finally that's, I decided, you know, go with your gut. <laughs> I think, and maybe with you, it's the same thing. I don't think there was a wrong decision. I think I could have stayed with Hush and, you know, helped them grow that brand. They would have, I'm sure they would have compensated me at the end for, you know, and I would have grown with them. They're awesome people. Yeah. Uh, But so I don't think I could have gone wrong either way, but I'm very happy that I chose the route I have. Yeah, man. I'm stoked for you. And it's funny. It's like once you get that taste of being out on your own and doing it, like, I can't imagine, like, having to be like, well, I guess I got to go back and work for the man, you know, like, and get, like, a regular, quote-unquote, regular job. Yeah. Um, like, I hope that never happens, but I, I don't think I could do it. Like, I would always just have to figure out a way to make it work. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's tough, and I think that I've had people message me that um, they just ask business advice or anything like that, and I tell them, like, go get it work on your own and then if you have to go back to a job you will go crazy like that needs to be your motivation yes you will see what self um i mean it's hard it's way harder than having a job in my opinion yeah but the benefits are better like once you are self-employed working for yourself i i did it i went back i had to because i didn't have income for that first year i lived on savings for that first year Mm -hmm. built up my sponsorships so i had to go get a night shift with FedEx. Okay. And I worked from midnight till eight in the morning. Wow. And then I would go from the, from there to the mountain and then I'd hit the mountain all day from eight till dark. And then I'd do it over again. Where did you sleep? <laughs> I, I have an apart. I had an apartment. So I, I mean, I slept there. For I mean like, when did you sleep? Half. Not where? 
Oh man. Yeah. <laughs> two and a half hours a night. Sometimes four. If I don't know how you do that, man. I, I don't think I could physically do that. That's amazing, but man. I had to, to make this dream happen. And wow. I knew, I knew I had to keep pushing. So the only thing I could do was I needed the daytime for content. I, because you can't just go up on the mountain at the night in the night and get content. So I knew I had to be on the mountain during the day and somehow still be making some money to get by. So I don't just blow through my entire savings. And, uh, so that's what I did for a year. And then I was able to go part-time there and then just quit. And the last wow. two years, it's been all full-time hunting. Wow, so, man. Um, but man, every time I clocked into that job, it was just eating at me. Like, you've got to make this work. You've got to make this work. And uh, I think that was a huge fuel to my fire, honestly, that to help keep me going. Because yeah. I knew I, I, I did not want this. I did not leave, you know, hush to fall back into a job. So it was just a good fire to get me going and off my on, on my feet. That's really cool, man. And for those listening, like this can be applied to anything. Like if you want to step out and start your own like plumbing business or whatever it is, like for us, it's this, but it could be applied to any kind of life situation. But yeah, just uh, taking that step off the diving board and almost kind of like that old story of the conquistador Cortez when his men got in South America, like burn the boats, like destroy any escape route, you know, Um, not that. And that's the great thing about the place we live. I mean, you might fall on your butt, but you're not going to like starve to death in the gutter. You know what I mean? Like, so give it a shot, you know? Yeah. And I had a good support system with Mike. I had parents that if I, I didn't want to, but if I, if things just completely crashed and didn't work out, you could get back on your feet. I knew they would help me get back on my feet, which is big. Some people don't have that, um, nearly For sure. To- at the same extent I might have. Um, fortunately I didn't have to move back in and, and, uh, and live off of them or do any of that. But knowing in the back of your mind that that's there, that kind of helped too. Uh, I definitely don't want to pretend like, you know, it's all me and I'm this awesome dude. I I had a great support system too, to make sure that I could, I could make that jump. Yeah, for sure, man. And like, I'm not saying, uh, you know, you have to be wise. You have to have a plan. Like when I, I, I wrote a whole business plan when I kind of went out and did stuff and absolutely, I didn't do everything on my own. I, or I'm not doing everything. I mean, I have great support of great family as well and God as well. But, um, anyway, um, but just taking that jump, if you can do it, even though it is hard, like you said, doing hard stuff is, I mean, that's, that's why we hunt in the mountains, right? That's right. the payout. And the thing is, is life is always hard yeah there's life isn't once you hit a certain age it's going to be easy life is never going to be easy there's always going to be obstacles money to be made yep. things you have to tend to so why not pick at least hard in something you enjoy doing well said man absolutely you know I mean? yeah <laughs> like but, yeah <laughs> um, I, I would much rather wake up and know I'm not, I don't have a dollar coming in today. I have to earn every single dollar somehow and make it pretty much appear out of nothing from being in the hunting industry. Like (laughs) I'd rather wake up and have to sell one hat, go sell a shed antler and then call a, 
call a hundred companies, 10, not really a hundred, but call 10 companies realistically and have one of them be interested in working with you and have all of that come together to be an income. Then, you know, wake up 5am, drive through the snow, go into my nine to five. Don't see the sunlight until dark or until I get out at five o'clock sun setting and I go home. Yep. Thing wrong with that if that's what you like but personally for me i i would go crazy doing that and that would be hard too so I'm pick something hard man. that you like man yeah i'm the same way and just having the freedom and flexibility and stuff and um but um man my mind's going in so many directions of where we could take this um but anyway, you like you said, you get on the mountain a lot. I've heard that that's one thing I've heard a lot about you from I think I saw Chesser wrote it on one of your posts and I heard it on the podcast you were on too. It's just like you just spend and I can tell by talking to you, you're a hard worker, spend a ton of time on the mountain. Um and we were talking about this a little bit before we started recording, but your experience of hunting and my experience of hunting is very different because we live on different sides of the country when I'm and and the last two years, I haven't sat in a tree. I was thinking about this the other day. I haven't sat in a tree stand one time in the last two years, which was all my hunting before like four years ago. So, um, but, <laughs> um, you kind of live in it. You have the ability to spend a lot of time scouting, shed hunting in the mountains. Um, which is awesome, but it also comes with its own set of challenges, which is you hunt an extremely competitive area. Um, and not just competition, but like really good hunters competition. And so um, I'd love to just kind of dive in a little bit into the dynamic of where you hunt, where you choose to create your content, um, which I think is a lot of, or part of the draw of people have to your content. Cause you know, it's, it's relatable in the fact that, anyone can hunt where you're hunting. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's cutthroat and, uh, it's not fun. Um, <laughs> there, it's a, the competitive side of me. It like, there's times it's fun where you're like, Oh yeah, I'm going to, you know, I'll beat that guy up the ridge line. Like I'll still outwork them, even though, you know, they're up there. There is a sense of that, but really it's not fun. Like, yeah, I don't, I think social media has hyped up a lot of the Utah hunting, especially this part of Utah, uh, because of some of the animals that have been killed here. And I think a lot of guys come out and they're very disappointed once they finally make it out and see the reality of these mountains. Um, I choose to hunt northern Utah just because that's where I live. It's easier. Like, I mean, to get to make content, I don't just go out and every day I see things every day. Right. Like, there's five days out of the week, I'll go out and I don't even, I can't even pull my camera out because I don't see anything worth. How knowing. many days a year are you out there? I'd say roughly 300, 300. Yeah. Wow. Not always in one particular area, but right. I am out somewhere. Yeah, of course. Between shed hunting, hunting out of state, hunting in state 300 days a year. Okay. Uh, I, so I spend a lot of time, but not all of those days even really produce content for me. Of course, yeah. So it, it's a it's a constant constant grind to to stay consistent, stay relevant, bring up and new fresh content. But as far as the mountain goes, it's it's pretty cutthroat. There, the, I like it because 
it's just convenient and with having to get content often like i need yeah. i need convenience so are there guys that you know that are like your nemesis <laughs> <laughs> kind of i honestly there's just guys i would say i just avoid yeah not really any like bad blood or arch nemesis i i just do you have any rivalries or anything going on um not currently okay but that's a thing like that's a thing yeah i'd say i've had some in the past where you know me and a a certain guy were hunting the same deer and then yet like it just seemed like wherever you go they're there again and there was some (laughs) of that um but i've kind of learned how to step back avoid those situations yeah and uh yeah, now I'd say things are pretty good for the most part right now. I don't have any of that. <laughs> it's cool. It's just it's just interesting to me because, like, the way I grew up hunting, because of the way I grew up hunting, like, the thought of, like, there's certain deer that people know about and, like, um, multiple guys hunting the same deer, it's just, like, a different concept. Because, like I said, I grew up hunting whitetails, like, bow hunting, but, you know, ambush style from a tree stand on mainly private ground. So, um, that's an element to it that is new to me as a Western hunter. Um, and even how I experience it is different because I'm, I'm there usually like seven to 10 days and I'm gone, you know, um, not like knowing the guys and hunting the same deer in places for years and stuff like that. So it's just an interesting dynamic. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's, it's definitely challenging. It's not, it's not fun. You, I mean, you show up <laughs> I can imagine. Trailhead, you show up to the trailhead, you know everybody's trucks, and you're like, "Shit, Bob's here, Joe's here today." <laughs> you know, oh, there's a new guy. Now I got to figure out who that guy is and where he's going because, um, yeah, it, it's a pain in the butt. And the mountains are big out here, but they're not big. Once you get to know the trail systems, how to operate, how to the game plan for glassing, they're not big, so it's easy to bump into guys. Um, do you guys just, coordinate at all or talk beforehand or do you just kind of like every man for himself no some i i try to like if i bump into somebody on the mountain and i know they're that we're hunting the same area or animal i'll try to help them out i'll get a feel for what their goal is like mm-hmm. if their goal is hey dude i just want to shoot any branch antler bull i'm not holding out for a six point then i'll point them in the direction of where i've seen other yeah. bulls and just let them know hey i'm hunting this one specific bull or buck. Um, I've been seeing them, you know, maybe I'll tell them I've been seeing them here, but um, usually I'll keep that vague and just try to help them achieve their goal at, is the first step. And then if they are after the same thing I'm after, then it's kind of like, well, how are we going to do this? <laughs> and lately I've just been backing off. Like I haven't had any issues since, well, two years ago I did have an issue um but the last year i haven't had any issues with guys on the same animal what would you consider an issue just <laughs> just i mean the area is small when you're hunting a deer it's like you glass him up and everybody just kind of piles in on him mm. so you've got one guy trying to make a stock another guy playing an escape route um so you don't know who, who, what other random guys you don't know are in there that might also be making a play. So those are kind of the issues you run into. And some guys, some guys will communicate and be cool about it. Some guys won't. Some guys want to, you know, every man for themselves type attitude. Yeah. And 
go right in and, and maybe screw you over. Interesting. Uh, but yeah, I really haven't had that problem lately. So that's good, man. I well, think I, I think I think knowing what I want to achieve is helped out a lot. Like I've I've backed out of opportunities on animals because I've seen other guys now, and I'm just like I'm not even gonna get involved in that because yeah. I know I could just go find something else and maybe have it to myself. So that's I've tried to steer more that direction rather than hunting with people because that's usually when the problems come up is yeah. when you're hunting with the person. And it's not worth like real conflict. I mean, competition's fine, but like you don't want to get in the fights or, you know, yeah. conflict with people. Yeah. yeah. And I don't think you have I'm just, and especially like as guys like us who are trying to document mm-hmm. our adventures, um, you're kind of, you have to be above reproach because people are looking for a reason to drag you through the mud, you know? Yeah. So, um, so yeah, yeah, man, there was that, there was that buck a few years ago to big buck that I made a YouTube video of. And there was, there was some controversy, I guess you could say with that one, because we were hunting the same deer. He blew him out in front of me one time when I was in bow range. And then there was a claim on his end that I did the same to him and, whatnot and that 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 was that sucked and it was just like just made the hunting not fun yeah Um, so yeah just avoiding that at all cost is the best thing to do really yeah absolutely man um a a deer a a freaking deer isn't yeah that important in the grand scheme of things um so what does your kind of yearly cycle look like i know you're like you said you spend 300 days in the mountains so I feel like there's probably some rhythm in there. Um, and especially like, yeah. So what's your year like just from like a high level? Um, right now it's show season. Uh, mm-hmm. I usually just do hunt expo in salt Lake. That's okay. The, that's the big one, but I have done Oregon in the past as well. I don't think we're going to do that this year. Have you ever done uh, shot show? Never done shot show. Um, yeah, those are the only two that I've done. I've attended okay. a couple others, but I've never like really. We'll have to link up at the expo and say what's up, man. I'll be out there. Yeah, I'll be at the all in the all in booth. This oh, cool. Year. So okay. I don't have my own booth, but um, I'll be working at that. I I, I have some equity in in all in, so I was part nice. of that group that started it. So I'll oh, be cool. help, helping run that. So that's kind of my other side thing going on. Nice. Um, yeah, those freaking booths sell out so quick. I had a booth last year at expo uh hunt expo in salt lake and i thought i had a few months to maybe reserve my next one well when i went to do it they were sold, sold out. out and it's already a wait list for 2025 wow man so i'm like gonna have to pull some strings if i want to get into the next one in 2025 wow <laughs> have, have those booths been beneficial for you as a content creator um yeah so last year was my first one on my own it was great. I had endless, I did have my buddy's uh, buck in there. He kind of collaborated and brought his buck in. He shot a big buck that was popular um, and that brought some attention. But I mean, overall, I had somebody talking to me the entire time. I never, I never stopped. Like it was, there was never a dead, dead moment. Yeah. Um, so a lot of merchandise, a lot of people came by and were able to talk and connect. Cool, man. So that, that was worth it for sure. They're they're expensive to get a booth, even a ten by ten. I think was three grand to twenty five hundred bucks. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and that doesn't count for the time and money to put it together and all of that. So they're, they're, they're worth the investment though, I'd say. Cool. Yeah. I've been going to the expo for three years now, I think, but I've never done a booth. I've just been kind of networking and, and that kind of thing. But I always wondered, you know, um, if that would be beneficial, but anyway, um, and with a podcast, I mean, you could do some live events and whatnot. Oh yeah. Um, Like I partnered with like, well, loosely, but I partnered with my, my, um, my rifle partner, Seekins Precision and did some stuff at their booth. You know, like I was doing live podcasting from their booth, but, um, this year I think I'm going to just focus more on like doing a few good ones instead of just like trying to like podcast all day, like do those little like micro ones. Cause I feel like people don't like, like listen to those as much as like a long form conversation. Yeah. Anyway. I agree. Yeah. Rabbit trail. Um, what were we talking about? How do we get on to expo? Oh, I don't even know, man. <laughs> <laughs> we, we were talking about hunting out here and the competition public. Oh yeah. Yeah. Before. Oh no. I was asking what your yearly cycle was like. Oh. So you said it's trade show season now. Yep. Um, so show season February, I, I am trying to shed hunt a little bit. Um, the moose shed their antlers out here in the winter time. So they're the okay. first to shed. Then it goes deer, then it goes elk. So I'm trying to keep tabs on some moose as they're shedding right now so that when the snow melts, I could go in and try to scoop a few. Um, but right now, it's prepared for shows. February, March comes. It's deer sheds and elk sheds. And I'll run that all the way till May. I'll shed hunt till May. That's my that's my deep passion, honestly, more than hunting. I just love getting out there shed hunting. And I'm assuming you do videos on those too, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Those are popular. I like to, they're, they're fun because they're more laid back, relaxed. You want to make them seem as epic as, as a hunt yeah. film, you know, and not as much has to go into them. So I can pump out, you know, a shed, a shed hunt probably once a week. Yeah. And um, you're probably, I mean, it's, it's scouting too, right? I mean, you're kind of getting a, you're, you're learning new terrain. You're seeing where the bulls are hanging out at least at that time of year. It is. And I would, I would contribute the, success i've had hunting in the last three four years to my shed hunting mm-hmm. um, a lot of people overlook the like overlook look shed hunting but i'm i'm out every day so like season ended in december for me for elk i was out the next day i'm out the next day looking for elk seeing what bulls i missed seeing where the bulls are moving to with higher snow where what feed they're at, just always trying to pick something up. And I do that every day through shed season as well to a figure out what made it through the winter. So I know what animals to look for in the fall. And also just to pick up any little thing I can get some cool content. Maybe I, I spot a mountain lion in an area and I can go hunt that mountain lion. There's always just something I think you can pick up out there. So I'm just putting myself out there all year long. Um, but yeah, sheds is the main goal. That's amazing, man. But yeah, I, I'm always looking to pick something up when I'm out there and learn. Are you, um, like, will you just pick an area you want to hike through? Do you usually stay close to the truck? Are you driving and glassing a lot? Uh, or is all hiking a mix? What's it, what's, what's it like? My home mountains out here, it's a lot of driving first, glassing from a big, a big broad view. And then picking a ridge, hiking that ridge. There's there's trails on some. Um, usually, I end up having to break off the trail anyways mm-hmm. and go off on my own path. Um, so I'll start from the truck, glass, 
get an idea. Then I'll hit a ridge line, take that up, get to a good vantage point, and then start picking apart up from an up close view the the hillside or that ridge. And, and this is when you're shed hunting. So you start shed hunting with glass. Yep, always. Yeah, I very rarely, unless I'm traveling out of state to a spot that I had no time to scout, uh, do I just hike in randomly. I almost and like always, search. Yeah, I always, and even, even when I get out there, I start with the glass. I'll get, first thing I want to do is get to a high point, a, like get an idea of what I'm working with. Look at the hillside. Okay, these, these slopes are not melted off yet. The elk probably weren't on those. Look for the melted off slopes or look for the slopes with the best feed, best cover, the saddles and transition spots that they can take and, and go from ridge to ridge. So I even if I, um, it, I'm new to an area, it's always starting with the glass. I, that's, that's Do you your, use higher powered glass shed hunting than when you're regular hunting? Um, no, I don't have unlimited funds, so I don't have tons <laughs> of options. I, yeah. <laughs> I just uh, uh, up my game and got a Swaro ATX 95. Nice. Um, so that's the scope I'm running. And then I have a pair of Leupold 10 by 50 binos. Cool. And that seems to be, if you're just a guy that can afford a bino and a scope, um, that's, that's what I would say go with like a 10 by 50 bino somewhere in there. And then, a, a 65 to a 95 scope is what I would recommend. And, okay. and goes with me everywhere. I summer, fall, winter, spring. I take that stuff with me everywhere. Nice. Okay, so, man, I love the way your mind works and how you just, um, yeah, that's that's awesome, man. So anyway, so you're shed hunting. When does it transition out of shed hunting into the next part of your phase? Um, May, it gets a little bit hot out here in the west to shed hunt. You have to worry about rattlesnakes. At least I, I worry about rattlesnakes. <laughs> take my dog with me a lot, um, and so I always worry about him bumping into a snake. I've had yeah. a dog. I've had a dog bit before and it's not fun. Um, so that's usually when I start wrapping it up. Um, I might start dabbling in some bear hunts in the springtime. So that's okay. the next thing I transition into. Uh, but usually it's then it's just making sure I'm honing my craft with the bow and, and shooting very consistently. I usually start doing that in the, in, in the early spring, but come May, it's it's almost every other day i'm i'm out shooting my bow somewhere um i live i don't have a, a range nearby for me so i can't do it every day but if i could it would be yeah. every day are you a mule deer guy or an elk guy or both like both. do you have one i love them both i i always say do you focus more on one no i'd say they get pretty much equal love um because out here that's rare yeah, out here in Utah, you can usually get uh, an elk tag as OTC, so I could I always can bank on an elk tag, and then for deer, it is draw, but it's a general, so it's pretty easy to draw. Um, so I can always have a, and then I also go out of state too, and and I buy OTC tags out of state, but I would say it's pretty much split fifty fifty down the line. Because usually uh, guys have a one they kind of focus on, but um, I just, okay. Anyway, I, I, I keep think, jumping in. No, you're good. I think they're both cool. And I, I always say, I think scouting for mule deer is the, that's my favorite thing to do. Love scouting for mule deer. There's nothing better than trying to find that one eight year old, 200 inch mule deer, or even a 180 buck, just an older age class mule deer. 
There's yeah. nothing more fun than that. But and it's just something so beautiful when it's like lush and green and like they're in velvet and they have their summer coats. It's so like pretty. All you have to wear is a tank top up there. Yeah. Pack ten layers of clothes. Or... <laughs> I love summer scouting for mule deer, but I mean even the winter time too. Just looking for old mule deer is fun. Now when it comes to hunting them, mule deer hunting sucks. At least if you're targeting a specific buck. It is not it's more of a grind and a headache than than it is fun. But there's mm-hmm. there's beauty and fun in that. But um as far as hunting, elk is more fun to hunt in my opinion. Gosh. Yeah. That's yeah. yeah. And I guess you could say certain times of the year it's it's different. Like the the mule deer rut is fun. It's similar right. to elk hunt, but man, hunting elk in the rut is is my favorite hunt because they're like a dinosaur dude you're running around screaming the ground is rumbling when they run by you so i did my first elk hunt this year i killed my first elk this year and that was my goal is kill my first elk Uh and somehow i draw a high demand uh tag in new mexico for my first ever hunt (laughs) and uh like just a random draw um not even in the outfitter pool and uh, it was open sight muzzleloader, and um, what an experience, man! Like when they're bugling and going crazy, especially down there, there was a lot of them, and they were everywhere and bugling. Um, nothing like it. Yeah. But the deer are, like you said, in the rut. Um, that can be a ton of fun, and they can be pretty active. But man, I, you know, I would love to someday accomplish a successful like high country early season archery mule deer hunt but that looks like insanely hard yeah i got <laughs> i just killed my first my first early season velvet archery buck uh this year i saw i watched the video it's awesome like the footage is just like there's flowers and grass and like tons yeah. of bucks all together it's just gorgeous man yeah. i but but i mean uh the rifle bucks i've killed too those those were all high country as well the They'll stay up there pretty pretty long into October, November, even. That's what I was going to ask you. Um, you scout them in the summer with whitetail. In my experience, anyway, by the time fall comes in, what they're doing as a bachelor group in velvet is just nothing like what they're doing when it's time to actually hunt them. So it's it's fun to watch them, but I didn't have a lot of payoff from it. Um, yeah. Let's say, <clears throat> let's say you're a guy like me. Um, I will probably be able to get a pretty good Colorado like rifle tag. My, I'm thinking about doing like a third season or something out there at some point pretty soon. But if I was able to get out there and do some summer scouting for like a week or something in the summer, so check out my unit, look for some deer, is the behavior going to be similar enough come middle of November to where that's even fruitful? Middle of November, no. It won't be similar at all. Yeah. If you're in October, then yes. What I've noticed is in October, the, the deer are still usually in the same spots. They're going to be, they're going to be a kind of in that pre-rut mode. So they'll be sparring, maybe even checking out some does at night and then going off on their own to bed in, in the day. Um, but come November, usually you have snow out here in the West and that starts pushing animals out of their, out of their rutting or their summer grounds. Mm-hmm grounds and they start moving towards winter grounds so that's going to be your biggest factor in if you're hunting in november is 
the snow. Now, if you have a low snow year, you'll find deer clear up at nine, 10,000 feet still. Hmm. But, um, but usually I would bet, especially in Colorado come November, you've got some snow and the, the deer move down more into some of that Oak country. Yeah. Um, rather than the high stuff out here, out here, I'd say you, you, if you found a buck and you, you wanted to hunt him July through October on our extended archery hunt, we have, you, he'd be in the same spot within a mile of where you saw him in July. Clear. That's cool. That's but, cool, man. So, okay. So back to your year. So you're out there. Um, when, do, when do you say you kind of start with the mule deer scout in like July? Mule deer, I'd start in July. I'll run trail cameras. So I'll go out and put uh, trail cameras up in June. Yeah. Usually uh, the elk, the deer and elk haven't even made it up to their summer grounds. Yeah. Come June, we the, it's just dormant still, on, especially on those north slopes. And you're um, covering tons of ground, trying to find the biggest buck you can, and you're going to hunt that buck the whole year. Yeah, yeah, that's that's <laughs> all I do. Like that's cool. And and that's just on my home mountain range, the one I can spend the most time on. Sure. If I'm venturing out, like when I've hunted Wyoming, when I've hunted Arizona, other states, I'm I'm not holding the same standards. I want to shoot the most mature buck I can find, but I'm not holding out for a 200 plus inch buck. Whereas wow. on my home mountain range, that's all I want to shoot. I don't care if I eat my tag. Like that's all yeah. I want to shoot. Because that's I know cool. I because I wish more people would do that because I know with those genetics there could be a lot of big bucks. So I love to see those deer progress year to year, watch that antler growth, see how they can change, see how their behaviors change. I just love that journey with these particular deer. I feel like I've learned a lot from that. And it's kind of taking like some of that Texas style, like management and trying to implement it itself. Obviously it's not going to make a difference on the whole unit. One person taking, you know, thinking that way, but, but change starts with you though, right? Doing that and trying to spread the message. I think that might help a little bit over time. Um, But I just personally like it because I, I, I think it's cool to see those deer grow every year. I mean, the Fair. one popular deer that I hunted was Art. I called him R2. Um, I watched him for six years. Was able to track him winter, summer, fall, six years straight. Um, Were you walking around I, with him at the expo last year? Um, no, that I had a – so the hunter that killed him, that's the one that had like all that controversy. The controversy. Okay, yeah. I remember hearing so, about that. Yep. So the hunter, <laughs> when we killed him, the group that was there, everyone wanted replicas. Yeah. And I said, well, um, and if I did it, a rep, they offered me a rep to do replicas too. And that would ha- like, that would push the price down to like 700 bucks a person because mm-hmm. they're pretty expensive to get replicas. Oh yeah. Done. I looked into it. Um, so we were like, well, if all four of us do replicas, that'll, that'll cut the price down. So I, I got his replicas and, um, people gave me shit for that. I'm like, dude, uh, walking around at the expo with him and i was like i didn't do it to try to be famous or oh yeah no people messaged me and said hey i want to see that those replicas because i also had a uh, one of the sheds i picked up off him oh for sure yeah like, dude bring those i want to see them so yeah i was walking around oh yeah them. yeah i wasn't like saying that but i just i thought i remember like when you said that i thought i remember seeing you because i think i remember hearing someone's like oh that's that r2 buck or whatever 
Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. So, that's so um, replicas, and then I don't know where the head was. It might have been at the show, but I had the replicas. Nice. Um, uh, but yeah. Anyways, that buck, I was able to watch him for six years. And that's crazy. I wish I knew more about hunting in that time frame because I think I I I think I would have got him that year he died, but um definitely maybe in one of those sooner years those earlier years i could have if i was a more skilled archer i think i could have figured him out and killed him but yeah. um but i still learned a lot that now oh yeah my other hunts and it's going to help me in the future yeah man i mean you that's how you become a great hunter is just observing wildlife a lot and that's what you do um okay I would, I, go ahead I was going to say, I would say if there's a young hunter listening to this or even just a, a, a new to hunting, no, no matter what your age is, someone's new to hunting, fall in love with observing the animals. Like it sounds granola and like, I don't know, maybe like it's, but I've never been Not the type of dude that's like, let's go kill some shit. Like if it, like if I see that buck, I'm going to shoot it. Like, yeah. even if it's two point, I've, I've always rather i would always rather observe and watch more than want to kill something because the longer you can observe something and watch it the more you're going to learn especially as those animals get older and they they're it's like a, a switch flips for them when they're four years old to six years old something in there happens where they just become so much smarter and and keened in hmm. and, uh, a different animal right yeah. And, and I'd, it's probably because just hunting pressure and more years of, of being hunted by mountain lions and all of that mm -hmm. under their belt. Um, but I mean, I mean, even whitetail, I bet it's the same thing. Something, something switches in those animals in that five year range and they just become a whole new animal. They're a whole new creature. And I love watching those animals. Hmm. So if you're a new hunter getting into it, whatever, fall in love with that because yeah, you might not kill things for the first few years. I didn't kill animals, any big game animals from the time I was 18 till, uh, man, like 25. Hmm. There was a, a six year run where I, obviously I was having opportunity at animals, but I was passing them for bigger ones Wow. and I didn't kill anything and it sucks. And you can kind of beat yourself up over that. But now the success is just like, snowballing and it's and it's happening for me and i think it's because of those years of really taking the time to uh learn yeah wow and develop that work ethic um hats off to you man um but yeah I, i'm the same way with you is like you have to and i'm getting better at this um in terms of developing patience more and stuff like that and holding out for better class animals and stuff like that it is a different dynamic when i'm always hunting on a state but um you definitely yeah, have to yeah, you def but you definitely have to like love the animal. Like it's a weird dichotomy I think most good hunters or if not all good hunters have where like yes, you want to be successful and obviously the the goal is to kill this animal, but like I genuinely like love deer. Like I could watch deer all day long. Like even if they're in my backyard here in Virginia. Um they're just amazing animals. I love hunting elk too. I got to say there's something special about deer though. I don't know. They're just a big deer. Like you said, it's a different animal. Um, pretty cool, but I want to hear, we're kind of coming up on a little bit close to time that I normally run, but I want to hear a little bit about, we've mentioned out of state hunting, which is basically all I do at this point. It's something you do some of. So, um, 
it's super fat. Well, it's super fascinating to hear about how your dynamic of your home mountains is. I'm interested to hear how you attack a, a hunt. That's a couple States over that you are not getting out to scout. You're not spending thousands of hours in those mountains. Um, and I know what kind of how I do it and what works for me, but I'm interested to hear like kind of what your process is. Yeah. Um, yeah. So this year we could just use my deer hunt for an example, my approach going into that, uh, or this last year, I went out of state brand new. Oh, it's OTC. So not a premium unit at all. I'm going to have to grind. I knew that going into it. Do um, we know what state it is? If not, that's fine. I'm uh, just, no. Okay. Um, and anyways, uh, I had no knowledge though, really of the mountain. I had a buddy that lived there that told me, Hey, you should check out this unit. And he gave me a few starting points, but that was it. Like where to glass from and stuff. And so I went to his spots right off the bat. Um, it was about, it was, I think eight to 12 miles wow. uh, get into this one spot. And that's just to where I was going to camp. And then I'd have to hunt from there. Um, got there, checked out his glassing points. They weren't producing. There wasn't a deer in there. And it was more so, I think he wanted me to kind of test it out too and see. It wasn't like, a, it wasn't like the, the for sure spot where something would be, but he's like, I think there's, there's could be potential here. So check yeah. it out. Went and did that. That didn't work out. So now it was pretty much starting from scratch. I got nothing. Um, and I was out there hunting on my own too. So no spot or anything like that. So first thing was get high. Like we talked about earlier, use the optics, get high, find, just find something, even though it, even if it's far away, just find them. And then you can always get a closer look. So I started working, uh, a lot of ridge lines, high points, peaks, and just trying, I mean, every mountain's a little different. It might be a East slope on one. It might be a South slope on another, but look for you can tell where the vegetation is the grass the lush feed uh, maybe a burn which has good feed in it and cover which is typically pine trees out west um, so it was get high find that stuff target those areas and glass for them and try to pick deer out and that was my first initial goal then i started finding some deer seeing okay well they're actually a little bit lower than we anticipated. They're not up in these high peaks right now. And so I moved down to mid mountain and then I started picking apart the mid mountain. And that's when I started seeing deer right and left. Um, maps is a big thing too. working your digital maps. I see you have an Onyx hat download Onyx. I use scout to hunt. That's another new one that just popped up out here in the West. That's a, a sweet brand. I like download a couple different maps and and really work those learn every where every trail is where every road is and just have that mental log so while you're running around on the mountain you have that knowledge already and you can kind of maneuver easily to cover country mm -hmm. that that's a big one for me <clears throat> but i don't know where i was else i was going to go with that but yeah just you have to break that's it totally down until you find the deer and i mean once i found the deer then it was i lived in that spot and yeah. try to pick out the best one I can find at that point and hunt them. And I, I guess um, if we were to jump back a little bit from that, like let's say you have no waypoints to check out. Um, are you looking at a unit and saying, okay, here's the, t like, are you looking for a certain um, type of habitat or are you just saying, here's the high points that I can easily access. I'm going to start there and just let the glass and just find animals and then, and then zone in closer. 
Yeah. So, so yeah, if you're, if say you're wanting to come out West and do a Colorado elk hunt, I did that this year. Um, it, it's going to differ on whatever species you're hunting, the, uh, vegetation you want to key in on. If you want to hunt mule deer, you got to, and it's early, you got to go high. You got to look for those high grassy meadows or basins. And, uh, that's where the deer are going to be. I mean, deer, they can be wherever they can live on their browsers. They can graze. They yeah. can do any of that. But stereotypically you go to the high country for deer in the summer. Um, elk, you're going to look for elk more in the quakey patches in the fall. Look for those in September, um, pine trees. The late season, if you're coming out in the late season, you're going to want to key in on oak brush and different types of brush like that and pine trees, some of that lower stuff, sagebrush. So knowing what species you're hunting, what those species like to eat at that time of year, and um, that's that's big. So it's going to differ. There's no real answer I could give you there. Sure, yeah. Um, but just understanding that is the big thing. And then when you come out here or when you're looking at your maps, just look for high points. That's, I can't stress it enough. People message me all the time. Like, Hey dude, I don't get how you're seeing so many animals. I'm, I'm, I have the same tag and I'm not seeing anything. What can I do differently? And I feel bad saying it because it sounds dumb, but that's all you do is you go to a high vantage point and glass your butt off. You have to, and you might look over animals like I look over animals all the time. So you have to really be patient, sit down and just pick the hillside apart. And that's going to give you your best knowledge of the area. Mm-hmm. So you're at home, say you're in Kentucky and you want to come out west, get on your maps, find the high points, find the best trail, the best route to do that using your digital maps, kind of simulate what you'll do once you get out here. And then once you do get out here. That's what you do. Get high, glass, assess the terrain. You might have to make adjustments because not everything's a guarantee. You might get out there and it isn't what you thought. It looks different in person. Almost always looks different in person. It always looks different. <laughs> You're going to have to adjust. But that's going to be your starting point. So good, man. Um, I love it. Uh, you have a very systematic but logical like approach to everything. You don't overcomplicate it. But, um, but I love it, man. There's a lot of good info in here. Um, I've enjoyed talking to you. Yeah. I've enjoyed talking to you too. I talk for forever, dude. I know me too. For part two, um, we could always, yeah, hundred things to talk about, you know? Absolutely, man. Um, so where can folks go to check out your stuff if they want to see some of your content? Yeah. So right now I'm on Instagram and YouTube. You can find me at Martin underscore Chag. And my name is Martin Chagnovich. I go by Chag just to keep it short and simple. Uh, but yeah, YouTube and Instagram is where you'll find me. If you are coming out to Western Hunt Expo this year, it's fun. We actually are announcing a movie night event. Um, it'll oh, probably sweet. be already announced by the time this comes out. So I guess I could say it. We are doing a movie night event with Hush, myself, and Shed Crazy. We have three hunt films. We rented out the big Megaplex Theater in Salt Lake. So that's awesome. If the tickets aren't sold out, if you guys are interested and you're going to be out in town, come do come to that. We're going to have a bunch of gear to give away. That's um, great, man. I love that idea. And I'll then be at the all in booth as well that week. So you can come see me then cool. too if you want to chat. Yeah, well, I'll definitely come see you, man. Um, again, enjoy our conversation and uh, we'll have to stay in touch. Yeah, I appreciate it.